0: This podcast episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With Phone Sites, you can build a website or sales funnel that generates leads from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any tech skills or without downloading an app. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Nate.
1: 5 and 6 i deployed to kuwait i used to wait every day for them to say nature going home i missed my life miss my wife for 15 months she was all alone Years of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids. That's who I do it for. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. be a
0: what's up everybody championship leadership podcast here and today i'm i'm, I'm excited we have tony Watley. he's down in uh houston texas and uh he is the host of the 365 driven podcast and we it's a day after thanksgiving today if you're listening to this um so welcome here today tony thank you so much for taking
2: some time hey nate thanks for having me on the show man and happy thanksgiving to you and the family there
0: yeah thank you I appreciate it same to you guys and uh any black friday craziness
2: going on in your family right now man absolutely not i always tell the people that follow me if they're out there engaging in that kind of chaos that they probably shouldn't be doing that because they're not taking any advice from me so maybe we can't <laughs> we can't even be exactly. friends you know like you, you can't right. even be my friend if you're out there shopping today. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> i agree and uh i mean it can all be done from your computer nowadays anyway so
2: yeah yeah i don't like, I don't like having to, to to carry my arms and stuff and go out there to go shopping yeah, <laughs> too many crazy people. <laughs> too many criminals. People yeah. out there breaking into cars, coming to where all the crowds are. There's people getting their purses snatched. I mean, there's fights in the parking lot. There's fights inside the store. Just it's crazy what people will do to save like twenty bucks, man. It is, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, yeah, really crazy. Hey,
0: um first off, to to get started here, I would love to ask you this question championship leadership is the name of the podcast what what comes to mind for you what is championship
2: leadership to you when you hear that man I, I, leadership is one of those near and dear topics to my heart and i've always had a good experience from that i, I had a good role model my dad my dad was gunny sergeant in the u.s marines vietnam vet after he got out of the military he worked in the chemical refineries here in houston and i worked for him for two summers so i got to see him as a leader in that role with the different crew out there. And one of the things I always admired, even when I was 18, 19 years old working for him was that the people would that reported to him, he's probably like 20, 30 people at the time would always say like, we enjoy working for your dad. He's a good guy and he's just a very good leader. And I didn't know what all that meant when I was 18, 19 years yeah. old, you know, we just don't know. We don't all have our own experiences in life at that point, but what it came down to is he really just cared about everybody on an individual basis. And that's something that I took into my own corporate experience and also starting companies of my own, which grew to very successful levels, was that if you don't know what the individual motivators are for each and every one of the people on your team, chances are you're not a good leader. And If you're not good at making effective decisions and actually doing something about it, that other than just trying to collect data all day long and not making any decisions, you're an ineffective leader. And you start thinking about this is like, there's so many people out there that just think that the title that they wear bestows them the leadership status. Boy, as you know, Nate, I'm sure you've covered it on probably some of your previous podcasts is that leadership is not a title. It's a character. It's a persona. It's a mindset. So if you have manager on your title, doesn't mean you're a leader. If you have CEO on your title, doesn't mean you're a leader. Founder doesn't mean you're a leader. Leaders is actually something we have to be cognizant and aware of and really start to study these things. And really, it comes down to human psychology and human emotional control, a lot of different things, influence. There's a lot of different strategies with leadership. So if you want to become a good leader, it's not something you're born with. It's something you have to work for. Yeah,
0: no, I love that. And it's, you know, like you said, just, just because you're in a leadership position doesn't mean you'll, you are a leader. But and also like you don't have to be in a leadership position to be a leader as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, what's uh? If you could give us a little background on you and uh, you know what what's put you on this path, and you touched a little bit about working with your father, a great leader. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what what journey, what path have you been on? What are you up to that has brought you
2: to this point where you are today? Well, I guess yeah. You, you, the the father's side was covered, so I'll cover the mother's side. She was a she worked in the public schools her entire career, cafeteria lady, serving food to children. So awesome. my dad was the the disciplinarian in regards to habits and just showing up on time and anything that was just just physical discipline. My mom was the disciplinarian when it came to education. So school was very important to her. She's a Japanese Ooh. immigrant. And she, dude, I did not miss a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. Not one. Really? Perfect attendance, 12 years. That's so and awesome. The thing is, is that even if I was sick or had chicken pox, she's like, get your ass on the bus. If you're not dying, <laughs> get on get on the bus. So that's how Japanese women or Japanese in general very much they value education. And yeah. she realized that the education here in the United States wasn't as good as what they can get in Japan. That's just facts. Yeah. So to miss even one day would even make it worse. So you think about <laughs> yeah, that right. way. So she valued education. And so I got the disciplinary on both sides of that, but we grew up lower middle class. Basically we lived in a little bit nicer town than we could probably afford. We always lived in fixer upper homes Worked as a family, me and my sister and the four of us did, to really just fix homes back up to live in for three or four years and then upgrade into the next fixer-upper. We always bought usually the ugliest house in the neighborhood and yeah. just kind of worked our way up that regard. So I learned to value things. You know, I didn't have any money, so we didn't have anybody in my family with money. I never had anybody in my family ever go to college, didn't have anybody that owned businesses. But the beauty of me living in proximity to people that had affluent neighborhoods was that I could get on my bicycle or my skateboard just go right around and look at these things. And they knew that they existed. It was something that was within reach. And I was always curious. I was always asking people, how did you do that? What did it take to get that? How does that, how much does that house cost and what is it, what is the career that got you there? And I was always asking questions, taking notes and that's who I became. And it's like, I never thought I would become a millionaire, much less a multimillionaire. Just didn't, didn't think like that. I just didn't think it was possible based on my own family because the social program that we grow into, we just kind of adopt and it's just, we carry on our, you know, basically our family history. That's just a legacy that we kind of get stuck in unless we break out of that. So I was the first one in my family to go to college, paid for it myself. And I was the first one in my family to own a business and start a business, did that. So it kind of, that's, that's, I've always had that entrepreneurship mindset. I've always been a daredevil. I've always been like, I wanted to be a stuntman and a race car driver or a fighter pilot when I was a kid. So it kind of gives you an idea of who my character, my personality is I've always been like, I probably should have died several times. Like all the stupid stuff I've done. Yeah. But that also leads to becoming a really strong entrepreneur. And that's, I still have that way. I still like the adrenaline rush. Yeah. So I, you're a car guy. Is that right? That's great. Car yes, fanatic. I'd say I'm a car fanatic. fanatic. There's a difference. There's different levels of car guy for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and you are
0: uh, you're on the far right if of the extremes. Is that right? Like absolutely.
2: Yeah, car. I build, race, restore. From? Yeah. Third generation. My my granddad was into cars. My dad was into cars. But I, although they had like cool cars and you know, muscle cars, 60s, 70s, and things like that, they they never modified them or raced them. Probably because we didn't have the money to do it. To be honest. Yeah. Neither of them, and for me, I was the first one to actually start building and and racing cars. So I was a little bit more extreme, and so I actually have a twenty four hundred square foot shop that I built on the back of my property that's got lifts, tire machines. Like I have a full shop. I can do everything but paint. Wow. I could actually paint if I wanted to, but it's just you know environmental crap and yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of expensive. You know, I don't want to have to put a spray booth up there. It takes too much floor space. Yes, so. Right. I can do everything, and I build cars from the ground up. So I've got a 1969 Camaro that I built from a rust bucket, from every nut and bolt and wire on that car I put in. Awesome. So things like that, and I've got some high horsepower and modern cars like Dodge Vipers. Got one that's about 1,300 horsepower that I build to go quarter mile and half mile and standing mile type events. So again, there's the adrenaline rush, and you know I do things at a high level. So the even the '69 that I built, you know, most people think, oh, I build cars too. Well, this one was actually on the cover of super chevy so i build things as a hobby at a very high level
0: yeah 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 so well, you know i've been following you for a while and i, I remember this was a post you made quite a while ago but you talked about i believe there was a time where you almost uh where you like near death experience racing oh. racing and, and how that was a big shift I, I talk often about turning points in our lives mm-hmm. critical moments for, for the guests and, and and it seems like that was one for
2: you would you totally. be willing to share share that and what that was for you absolutely man I'll, I'll tell this in the full narrative mode because yeah. I, I love the podcasting the storytelling so i actually gave a award-winning speech on this very incident oh wow and it did really well because of the emotional draw but I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you the narrative version of it so mm-hmm. probably about four years ago i i get Asked to do a lot of test driving for manufacturers, performance shops, even General Motors and different companies like to throw me the keys with their newest cars or the high horsepower things to go and try to either extract a better quarter mile time or a lap time at the road course out of these things and something I have a lot of fun doing. So yeah, I was I was driving for a local performance shop that had a thousand horsepower twin turbo viper and they were trying to set a new national record for it. So I was at the track with my own car and they're like, Hey, would you mind making a couple passes? Car wasn't fully lined out. So I knew that I could do it because the car I drive was actually three or four hundred horsepower more, anyways. Similar mm-hmm. platforms, like I got this, I know how to do this. So yeah. about top of third gear, around 130 miles per hour, something in the rear suspension came loose or broke, which causes on an independent rear suspension car the rear wheel to kick out. It's almost like pushing a shopping cart backwards and the wheels mm-hmm. turning, right? Mm-hmm. So even though the steering wheel's straight. The rear wheels making the turn so that pulled me against the right wall of the I was in the right lane and it pulled me against the right concrete wall and I didn't really know exactly what had happened at the moment so I was kind of angry at that moment because I damaged someone else's car and i would never actually got out of line like that I usually recover those pretty easy and so I started to slow down and as I touched the brake and came off the wall that wheel kicked back out the wall was actually holding it straight right Oh yeah. And and then it went hard left. And now I'm looking at the wall on the other side of the lane, doing 130 miles per hour concrete jersey barriers in a sports car. And I thought to myself, well, here I go. Because I really thought in that moment I was gonna die. Because like there's no way I'm gonna hit this concrete wall at 130 miles per hour in a sports car, like yeah. and survive this. Like I've seen too many bad things in my life. And so obviously I hit the thing I survive and, and all I could think about was like, I don't know if I'm injured or anything. It was, just, it was nighttime. The lights were flickering. It was at the end of the track shutdown area. And I just remember all the noise and the engine and just, just screeching metal and things bending and just going crazy and glass and airbag deployed. And the entire cabin's full of like that white powdery smoke. And it's just flashing dark light, dark light. And all I could remember thinking about was stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Stay awake. Cause I didn't know how, if I was injured or not, I just knew that I was awake and I knew that from race training that most people die in fire. So I knew that I had to get out of that vehicle as soon as I could. And, and it was still sliding and it felt like an eternity, but there's probably only a few seconds, you know, but it's that mm-hmm. speed. And so I'm hearing all the noises and it's just, and I'm like, just stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And then as soon as the door, you know, as soon as the, the car came to a stop, I pushed the door open. It was, it was forced closed close because the fender on that side had been pushed into the door. So I had to, you know, basically, open that door really hard to get out and not knowing if I'm injured or not. I didn't know if I was missing legs or what. I just, just knew I was, I was conscious and that was all that mattered. I had to, I had to do what I could. And so I get out and I, I started looking around and I realized I'm, I'm not injured. I don't feel any pain unless there's an adrenaline rush kicking in. Maybe I am, yeah. but I just don't know. And I hear people running up. Me and my friends are at the starting line. They're running up the quarter mile track and shouting and, you know, cause it looked really bad from the back and then the ambulance is pulling up and the fire trucks pulling up and, and, and I just remember being really calm and peaceful. Even in that moment, when I was approaching that wall, I had no fear in that moment, which is really strange because as the car started to get out of line before I contacted the wall initially, I did feel fear because you always feel that adrenaline fear. Like, I got this, I'll, I'll recover. Let me, let me just straighten it out. And then it got on to the wall. So it went from fear and control to anger of damaging it to peacefulness. Like three emotions within seconds. Wow. And I just remember there was no life flashing before my eyes. There was mm-hmm. nothing like no regrets. It was just, I thought I was just going to die. I just really yeah. thought, well, here I go. I remember muttering that to myself. Like those, those very words are still, they're always going to be imprinted in my mind. Yeah. And so I, I get out of the car and you would think that you would have the adrenaline shakes or just something. Cause you know, we've all been some traumatic experience where you're like, you, your hand is like just shaking. And I think like, I took my helmet off, I'm looking at the car and people running up and I go, Hey, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And the ambulance comes in the paramedic and they get me in the back you know, I take my shirt off and she's feeling me around, like seeing if I'm injured anywhere, just, you know, putting, checking my vitals. And then, you know, I'm just really calm, you know, just really calm in that moment. I don't, I don't know if I was in shock or what, but I was just really calm, but I, I had very clear thoughts about everything. I wasn't like zoned out. Mm-hmm. And and I remember her, she just looks at me. She goes, you want to know something strange? And I was, I was like, what? And she said, you're remarkably calm for someone who's just been in a major accident. Like she goes, people crash out here almost every day that we see. And I'm See a lot of people and inspect a lot of people, but she's like, you're really calm, like, and she showed me my heart rate is like, like calm, like super calm, yeah. And and she goes, it's just really unusual. I just, you know, I thought you would know. It's like she's like, are you okay? Do you feel alright? Because maybe she's thinking like brain injury or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm thinking, no, I, I feel okay. And then I knew my name and the, no memory issues, no concussion issues. I mean, I had full safety gear on, helmet on, and all that. So it, it was really weird, dude. And I just remembered in that moment thinking, man, why am I still here? What, what, what the car, I mean, I, the car was demolished. It was wheels laying off the car. The entire front of the car was caved in up to the the door and, and had no injuries. So I was like, I wasn't sore. I was like, this is kind of strange. And I just remember the rest of that week I, and I got home, like my friend drove me home and I didn't even tell my wife it was late at night and she was sleeping. I didn't wake her up and cause I knew that would just put her into a panic. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> going to let her sleep and I'm just going to go to bed. And wow. and then when I wake up uh, and, you know, she got up in the morning and I, then I told her because it's like, I didn't want her to do that because if I would have told her that night, she would have just been up all night. And then, you know, it just, it, it would have been selfish. Right. Yeah. So I didn't sleep that well, but I, I kind of just was sitting there thinking, you know, thinking, yeah. and thinking, I said, what if I had died that night? What if I had passed? And I started thinking about how would people remember me? And when I really come to it, I started like, okay, who are my other friends in a died? Because, you know, in this car scene, motorcycle scene, we see a lot of people pass away. I mean, we lose friends like mm-hmm. every quarter, it seems. Mm-hmm. And it's always the same thing. Like, so-and-so was a nice guy. So-and-so had a cool car. Yeah. It's a very, very superficial yeah. Type things because we don't really get to know people on a higher level. We don't get to know how they think. We don't get to see the actions that they. We don't get to see the things that they're passionate about or things they're trying to impact the world because all we see is the surface level things of them being a nice guy and they have a bunch of cool cars. So I would have been known as, yeah, Tony was a millionaire, built a couple, you know, companies, had some cool cars. Yeah. That that I, I get it. There's people maybe listening going, to too. that's not so bad, but that's not enough, right? Like being not so bad is not enough. So I really started thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I I'm, guess I was around 43 at the time. I'm 47 now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it, what it really started to paint the picture to me is I'm not showing a sense of urgency to impact the world because I've already had financial success. Sold my first company at age 34. And I always knew that I was going to become more financially successful, more influential, this and that, because I was on that trajectory. I was always doing the right things. I've always been that way. But the thing was, is that I have a story to tell to help other people become more successful. I've helped people build seven and eight figure companies, but they were only my friends. They were my close inner circle proximity. Those people were the only ones that got the benefit from my knowledge. I said, that's just not good enough, man. I was like, I have the story, the skill, the energy, but I'm not the right person yet. So I was just really hiding from the camera, hiding from the microphone, hiding from the stage because I had the financial success. I didn't need that. I didn't crave that for the fame. It was just, I'm good, man. I can keep doing this. I don't need to go i do all that. You know, I'm good. So it was kind of like if you know me, you're gonna benefit from it. So I really started thinking about that. I was like, what do I really love to do? And it's me as teaching. It's and I said, I need to be become the right person to teach. I need to be able to step out there and be able to make videos and do stage things and get on a podcast and be interviewed and write a book. And it's like, so I wanted to really just get my message out there. And so I wrote that book, Side Hustle Millionaire really to scale my message out. But while I was writing it, I was like, dude, I'm not going to be good at interviews. So I need to become a better public speaker. I was like, well, how do I do that? Well, go hire someone to teach you, go join Toastmasters, take lessons, do a bunch of videos, just practice, like get better. Cause I wanted to make sure that if I was going to get interviewed on a radio or a podcast or TV or whatever, I didn't get up there and embarrass myself yeah. or sound stupid and just say, um, 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 uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and just be like this lame duck interview. So I had to go invest in those skills man. So that's kind of where I am today now. Started doing business coaching about 2 years ago more publicly. You know, 365 driven brand we launched in June of 2017. It's doing very well. Look at the podcast is doing very well. But all these were a result of me deciding that my legacy just wouldn't be Tony was a nice guy with cool cars. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, wow, what a story. And the fact that you walked
2: out of that like with re- no injuries. No, I was just sore, dude. Like a massage, a couple of massages for the month, and I was good. I was already back yeah. at the gym like the same week. And to be
0: able to take that and just like take a look, right? And and you know, who do I want to be? What do I want people to say? And to actually yeah, I mean, then go out and do some things about
2: it, right? Totally, man. So the last two years have been very transformative and and I've got a lot of friends that have known me even since grade school, you know, and they and they see me and they're always like, You were this is who you were meant to be we always could see it, but you just never like did it. And and for me, it comes back to people being comfortable at some income level or a comfort in their lives. And they're not willing to trade the good to go get great. Mm -hmm. That's like the number one thing that keeps people from greatness is settling for good, good life, good income, good family, good, this good health, but they don't ever trade that to go get great. Yeah.
0: How deep did you, you know, this is just a thought that's coming to me. So I'm curious. So I'm going to ask it. Uh, how deep did you dive into um, like, man, how, how did I walk away from that? Why did I like uh, from a spiritual or, or um, you know, like religious standpoint, if was there any piece of that or, or you know, just curious on that.
2: I, I would say that I am spiritual more than religious. I definitely would consider myself Christian. I always kept the core values and ethical. I grew up you know, going to church yeah. as a kid and yeah. things like that. And I always, for me, I'm an engineer too, so I also have this analytical side that questions everything. So I'm yeah. very pragmatic and lo- you know, logical. So th- I think there's a lot of things that are definitely valuable in the Bible and, and religion. I think it's yeah, it's definitely the the best self help book in the in the planet in the world, right? You think about that, but it's like, there's also a lot of things that are unexplained. And I never liked it. Even as a kid, when I had questions, I never liked being told, well, you should never question the Bible. Like that was always oh, okay. the cop-out answer whenever <laughs> you had, like you wanted some clarification or you wanted to yeah. learn more and like, oh, well, don't, it's just what the Bible says. Like you shouldn't question them. Like for me, that's just never been good enough. Yeah. Right. And when you start looking at the universe And like all of the things that we don't know and the things that we're discovering, even on a macro or a micro, you know, microbiome, there's so much microbiology stuff that we're still learning on a daily basis. Like there's a lot of things we still don't understand that's not dictated by what's in a book written by a man. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hmm, that's a great baseline. I think everybody should definitely follow those core values. I definitely think that there's something else out there. I think that there's something more than what we are. I just don't know what that is. And I don't know if I can clearly define that. I don't know if a man can clearly define that. I mean, we don't know who's gone out there and seen it and come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I hear you saying there
0: wasn't a a ton of uh, struggle or conversation.
2: No, no, I didn't. I didn't go through the spiritual reawakening journeys like that. I just, I just said that I'm here. There must be a reason I'm here. And and it was pretty simple advantage of it. Right. Yeah, and, it, and it, what it what it really did was created urgency. It created yeah. like I'm not just going to sit around and wait for things to happen anymore. I'm going to do everything within my means to make them happen now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that.
2: What's um so where did where
0: does the 365 driven podcast come into play inside of all of that?
2: It was a long-term plan. So I was was listening to podcasts. I've always been a podcast listener. I was actually a guest host on an automotive podcast about 10 years ago before podcasts were cool. Yeah. Right. I was, but I was terrible on the microphone and I felt really awkward. And luckily I had a host that could carry the mic and I was just the guest really because I had a business in that space. So he invited me on because I had a large audience, but I wasn't like good on a microphone. I was just kind of feeling awkward and so I did like maybe 10 episodes and then I was like, ah, I'm not, I started making excuses like ah, I'm too busy or whatever. I just, I just felt out of place. Right. So I did, I put it off. And then I started always listening to podcasts cause I always been kind of a nerd that way. And I just find these things and find things that you're interested in and you're learning. And I like business and cars. And it's like, okay, I'm listening to those shows. And I said, okay, this book, that's the one that's going to be the best way for me to get my message out there. Cause I, you Know the book is great, but the podcast is like the book on steroids when you think of it that way, just the value. And I said, Okay, so the other way I started listening to Lewis Howes, you know, he's got one of his top rated podcasts, The School yeah. of Greatness. Yeah. And I liked that he had a business model around that because I'd never been exposed to that. I think it was just something we do. I was like, Okay, so what's his business model? So he's a business coach, he's got group coaching, he's got some speaking events, live events, and he's got this podcast. And what he would teach us, I joined his inner circle, and he would teach us things like if you're going to start a show, who do you want to have conversations with? You know, some, some people niche down too far. They go, you know, I'm only going to talk to lawyers. Like I'm a lawyer. I'm going to talk to lawyers. I was like, is that all who you want in your network? Or is that, you know, is that really going to be interesting after a year? So even the advice I give to people now, when they ask me about starting a podcast, like, who do you want to talk to? Who do you want in your network? Who do you want to, like, this is the best thing about podcasting is, the network that we grow by having these conversations with people we would never otherwise meet or have a conversation with, that becomes your network. Nate, you're in my network. Now I'm in your network. Like if you ever reach out, I'm like, Hey, what's up, dude. That's the power of podcasting. And the other, the other aspect of podcasting is when you want to build your influence or personal brand. The beauty of podcasting is there is no algorithm to filter how many people see that. So if people subscribe to your show, Every single one of them gets a notification every time you drop a new episode mm-hmm. where if you're trying to build your personal brand on Instagram or Facebook, only one to 2% of the people that follow you will get a notification or see your post organic reach because the algorithm limits how many people see that based on reaction. Then they start to feed it to more right. people, yeah. but your organic reach with podcasting is 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. What's, um,
0: <clears throat> what's a vision for you? You know, as a championship leader, I think great leaders have great vision. They're very clear on what it is that they want, and where they're going, and where they're headed, and the impact they want to make, and in all of that.
2: What what is it for you next? Let's just say five years. Three hundred and sixty-five driven is an entrepreneurship community, but it's also I don't believe in just financial success. I also think about mindset, relationships, and your health, things that I have a lot of passion for because I have you know I've met several people with financial success that were miserable, and I said this Ooh. is not you know, I don't care how rich you are, if you're miserable or unfulfilled, like you, and you see people that are severely out of shape and you're like, you know, they're not happy about themselves. They're not happy about the company that they created. So to me, I like to have the all around entrepreneur that's good at everything and challenges themselves in all these different areas of life. So if you got weak relationships, maybe we can focus on that. If If you're, it's the financial thing that you're wanting, maybe we need to focus on that. There's all these different things, but 365 Driven is a support network for entrepreneurs. I got a Facebook group, about 3,000 people in there, because I realized that my superpower, I have two superpowers that I always can go back to. One of those is building large communities, the other one is identifying the really the potential in other people that they may not necessarily see for themselves. I can see other people, I can observe their skill sets, and I can see where they could potentially be. I could see big things for people that they may not believe in themselves, but I can see that. And it always killed me to watch people just waste their potential and just squander their potential. And it used to really bother me, like especially friends. But now I learned like, you know what, it's that whole, like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Like I can tell them this stuff, but if they're not willing to take the steps or if they don't want that for themselves, then they're never going to get there anyway. So I need to quit wasting my time and investing emotional capital and trying to make them better because they just don't want to do it. So I start looking for people that actually do want to improve and become more successful and become more fit, have better relationships. There's thousands, if not millions of people out there that want those things. So I said, I'm a good person to teach that because that's what I exemplify. So 365 Driven, a launch to be 365 Driven, driven every day. It's put some kind of effort in. I'm not a workaholic, but you mm-hmm. got to put some kind of effort in every day. So maybe you're working five days a week. But maybe on the weekends you should be reading some books and learning some things and investing your own skill set or your own knowledge to make yourself better. Don't be skipping the gym on the weekends just because it's the weekend. You know, just right. be a little bit 365 driven every day. And that's where I started to launch that. And you know, it's growing. So, you know, some backstory, some context. I built some massive online communities in the automotive space. So ls1tech.com was the first community I built. It grew to 300,000 registered members. And this wow. is pre, pre-social. pre yeah, This right. is 2001 to 2007. Facebook didn't even launch till 2009. So yeah. I did this all before social media, just growing it organically by doing giveaways and having you know, live events and racing and things like that to draw people and build a community. So I'm very good at facilitating growing massive communities. The second one I grew was performancetrucks.net. That one grew to about 190,000 members. So again, two massive communities that just me being a leader, learning as I went, just kind of figured it out. I've become a servant leader. I'm not the person that stands on top of the hill and pounds my chest and acts like I'm super awesome and I'm the king. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that interacts and becomes like part of the community and just facilitates the success of other people. Because when I can help other people, it always comes back to me as well. So it's just like this nice reciprocity. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that, and that's uh, it's
0: impressive uh, to be able to do that. It's it's challenging to grow an audience like that. So, such a skill set to have for sure. Mm-hmm. What's um, who are a few leaders or one or two leaders that that really have impacted you? I know you you are a big believer, and not only as a coach, but but investing in others uh, to help you mm-hmm. as well and um so i'm just interested yeah who are some people that have impacted you and and more than like who they are but like you know how have they really impacted you
2: so I've got two paid mentors right now. And I, you're right. I think that if you're going to be a coach that you, if you're not investing in the same process and improving yourself, then how yeah. can you charge other people to yeah, be a coach? Totally. I just don't agree with it. I like, you need to be either, either part of a high high end mastermind of your peers or a coaching program yourself. So mm-hmm. currently my two coaches at this point are in the RTA syndicate. So my coaches are Andy Frizella yeah. and Ed Milet. So two guys that built nine figure companies from zero, they were both broke as shit Yep. built nine figure companies are very, very wealthy. Now they're, they're yeah. both in their forties yep. and they have the tough love about them. They don't like excuses. They, they basically hold people accountable. They got different dynamics. So I'll, I'll tell you about like Andy, Andy's definitely the tell it like it is guy. He's the MFCEO project. If you go find his podcast, he's usually in the top 10 on all of iTunes. Yeah. It's an awesome. podcast. So yeah. MF CEO Andy's tough love and he's just very, just blunt. He doesn't like any excuses and that's who I am. So we have a good resignation. Plus he's a major car guy. So we, we yeah. love that about each other. And you know, I've actually interviewed him on my show. And we talked about cars. So imagine that yeah, yeah, right. now, Ed, Ed is a little bit different. Ed is definitely more of the compassionate listener and he's, he's a hell of a speaker. If you ever get to see Ed Milet speak in person at a live event, you'll find that he's one of the best speakers you'll ever see because he's very well in tune with the emotional side and the storytelling side of speaking. So, if I want to become the best speaker and I love to stand on the stages now, mm-hmm. I want to learn from somebody that actually does the things at a highest level. So, Ed Milet is an incredible, incredible speaker storyteller connection. Like, he's got a lot of connectivity. If you ever have a conversation with him, he's very present. And he's very, you know, if you listen to his podcast, another top rated iTunes podcast, Ed Milet Show he's very good at listening and and answering questions and just being very present in the moment. And he, he's thinking on such a deep level. And what I like is like, you listen to him. He's very good at acknowledging people and he can see like the skills and the abilities and the character within his guests. And he's like, I want to acknowledge you on this. I see this within you. And the way you're answering is this. So he's very emotional quotient, emotional, intelligent, like, like probably one of the highest I've ever met.
0: Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing those. Those are, uh, they haven't come out of nowhere, that's for sure, but they've definitely come on the scene strong in the last few years, and, and uh, they're doing some great things, and, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see myself check them out at the Arte Syndicate here uh, one of these days. But uh, yep. uh, tell me, uh, as we wrap this up, what, what are one or two things that you could um, give to the listeners as a piece of ex- advice, maybe you know some principles that you live by, um, that would help them move forward that they could apply
2: into their life right away and really make an impact on them. I'll, I'll give you two the two main ones that I always think about when what holds most people back, whether that's success or career or whatever you're trying to get or you're trying to start something new, or maybe you just want to improve. First of all, you got to look about the people that you surround yourself with. We hear this our entire lives, even though it's where kids, your parents were like, I don't like you hanging out with those boys. I don't like you hanging out with those other those girls. Like your parents had a good judge of character yeah. So even as a kid, we knew this advice, but the thing is we don't really take advice. We, we hear that and we know that's, we understand that's a fundamental. The problem is, is anything that's fundamental, we've heard it our whole lives, and we just go, yeah, yeah, I got that. And we just kind of dismiss it, and we always think that there's some silver bullet or magic potion that's going to solve the problems. The thing is like, you got to go back and look at the fundamentals and ask yourself like, with clear eyes, am I really doing that? Am I really focusing on this? Am I really making actions to that? Because you'll find that – most people allow toxic and negative people within their proximity because they know people because we're humans. We like to have connections. We're pack animals by nature. And, you know, over the millions of years of human evolution, if we were to be outcast from the pack, that would means we would die. We would lose our shelter. We would lose our food. We would lose our procreation sex, all that stuff would be gone. and would be ourselves. So we're hardwired to be fitting in packs, even when people aren't good for us. So there's so many people out there just holding on to toxic, toxic energy toxic people negative people because maybe they went to high school with them or maybe they work with them or maybe they just have some similar interest or hobby in common that's that's the problem that's going to hold you back so we always hear the thing like you're going to be the five you know the average of the five people you hang around there's some accuracy to that because i remember the first time i heard that a few times like that's some bullshit right like that's that's some bullshit like i'm looking around (laughs) and like you're like, holy shit, my, me and my friends are kind of the same, but maybe we're all good. Maybe we're all making six figures. Maybe we're just all good. But if you wanna make seven figures, maybe you, you're you not hanging around the right people. Because here's the thing is that, I'm not saying that all these people are bad people. That's the, that's no, the differentiator. Like, like toxic and negative people, are not necessarily bad people, but their energy that they're feeding you with and the passive aggressive comments and the lack of support or the ridicule of your dreams is what's going to keep you from doing things because you start to lose the belief in yourself, which is keeping you from taking action. So when you go, hey, hey, Mike, I want to start this new company and I want to do this and Mike goes, well, man, that sounds tough or man, I don't know if I would do that or man – I, yeah. Are you sure you want to do that? Like that's, that seems like a lot of work, you know, and, and that's a, that's a negative response to something or maybe laughing. you like, dude, that's a stupid idea. You know, if you're, if you're surrounding yourself with people that are holding you back like that. And the people that you, you you may actually love them, you may trust their, their judgment, but that's what's going to happen is you're asking advice from people who have never accomplished the things that you want to learn or have achieved. So you need to start learning to find people that have achieved the things that you want to do with your life and asking them for advice and then start disregarding the advice from the people who have never done or never even tried to do things that you want. Just, just thank them for the advice, but understand like, eh. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Then you just kind of delete it like as soon as you walk yeah. away because yeah, those people only give you advice based on their own level of risk, you know, tolerance. They give it from their own level of fear. They give it from their own level of insecurity. So these are the people you surround So think about that. If you're hanging around a bunch of millionaires who've done the things that you want to do and you ask the same questions, you're going to get a lot different responses from them versus your other friends, even if you love them. So, the, the quickest way, like everybody's like, well, how do I know if someone's toxic? It's a real simple question. It's, it's an energy indicator. So here's the thing. It's not woo. I'm not trying to get all woo no. on you. <laughs> think, think about this. Every time you come up with somebody, Even if you know them or you meet somebody in person for the first time, there's an energy that we all, there's a field that we put out. Like and they say it can reach out like six feet away, like animals Mm -hmm. are very good at seeing this. Animals can see threats or sniff threats or sense threats before it even, you know, there's no visual cues. So there's definitely some energy that we don't understand that we put out when we walk into a room or we meet somebody or two people's energies intersect. And the thing is that people are either giving you energy or they're stealing your energy. That's the best way to understand what toxic and negative people are. And so yeah, that's great. if you want a tangible way to think of that, think about like when you're looking at your cell phone and somebody's calling you and you see their name on the screen, do you wince and go, oh, man. Or do you go, damn, I, I can't wait to answer this phone and talk to that person. Yeah, That's yeah. going to be a great indicator. Like that person, the first one is taking your energy. They're robbing you of energy because you're feeling drained after every interaction, whether it's drama or they're complaining to you or they're just – they're passive aggressively knocking you down a level to keep keep you at the same level as them. Like there's all these things that just take your energy. And then there's other people that feed you energy and they bring you energy and they empower you and they have, they believe in you. And like start surrounding yourself with those people that bring you energy, start creating some distance. You can be polite, create some distance from the people that are just robbing. Hey, I'm busy. Hey, can I take a rain check? Hey, Oh man, I got this appointment coming up. Hey, I got to go to the doctor. Just tell them whatever you can to just create some proximity because those people will always continue to rob your energy for the rest of your life. And you need every piece of energy that you can have. So that, that's just one tip, man, getting rid of the circle, but you could do it. You could do it politely. You could do it professionally. There's ways to do that. Learn to influence on those. The other one would just be to stop worrying about what other people think and, and say about you. Cause there's a lot of people think about fear of failure, like, Oh, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of failing. It's like, no, you're not. Nobody's afraid of failing. We fail all the time. We go to the gym. We fail in the last set on the last rep. We do things. We do all, the, all kinds of things. We fail. We fail at our relationships. We fail at parenting our kids. We fail at, at paying the bills on time, whatever. a lot of failures. What we're really worried about is what other people are going to say about our failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're really honest with ourselves. We're not fearing the failure. We're feeling what your neighbors or your friends or your family are going to say about your failures. So that all goes back to the fear of worrying about being judged the fear of being ridiculed, all these things that have to do with (laughs) stepping out. That's going to, you know, the the thing about, I just told you earlier about the relationships, like millions of years of evolution, keep you like wanting to be in the pack. Yeah. And when you start to realize that what outstanding people do is they literally are outstanding. They're standing out from the pack, doing things that separate themselves. So so you got to lose the fear of worrying about what other people think or say about you. That is the number one thing that keeps most people from ever doing anything in life yeah totally well that is uh that was fantastic and i love you know i love the uh,
0: the uh, example of like it if the name pops up on your phone because i totally like i could i totally resonated with that like yeah there's some people where it's just a time suck and it's like i did not want to answer that let it go to voicemail and there's others that it's like i'll answer right away so yeah. um that's perfect appreciate that what are some ways that the
2: listeners can find out more about you and, and what you got going on Hey, thanks, Nate. But my website, 365driven.com, 365driven.com. You'll find links to my book, my podcast, and all my social media channels on that page. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much today, Tony, for taking some time with us. I really appreciate it. had a great time. Hey, thanks
2: for having me on, Nate. Yeah. Let's go.
1: Let's go. Let's go. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say. Nature going home I missed my life miss my wife For 15 months she was all alone.